0: the con artists here we're here to talk about what we watched for summer of 2023 uh we lost brendan this time around looks like he didn't watch anything so there's just me sue scott hello and dan hey there all right so what did you guys watch in the summer
1: Uh, I'll kick us off. I started with uh, Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead. Uh, This one's been uh, sort of a surprise hit this year, and uh, I found it to be a lot of fun. Basically, the setup is that there's this uh, young worker called uh, Akira. He's working for this, like, Exploitative Reduction Company in Tokyo. He survives the initial like outbreak of a zombie apocalypse, and he's basically now determined to use his newfound free time to do all the things he set aside to pursue his career. He eventually uh, manages to team up with one of his old best friends, and eventually a bunch of other survivors to pursue his dreams and, and travel back to his old hometown, enjoying a bunch of wacky adventures and zombie threats along the way while trying to have as much fun as possible um the show itself is a lot of fun it's got a pretty energetic story at times and the animation is uh pretty vibrant to match it, uh even uses the opening credits as part of its recap for the previous episode which is really nice because oh, cool. things things can get pretty bonkers uh so honestly surprised that other shows don't do that it'd be neat to see it
0: dan was this like a gag on the pandemic a little bit or something like that. Like, I'm trapped inside. Now I can do everything I've always wanted to. It's just, t- like, terrible. But it like... definitely
1: felt that way a bit. I don't think it was 100% intentional, but it definitely takes some cues from that. Um, but, like, basically this guy goes from being, like, just utterly downtrodden, like a zombie himself, barely getting by to, like, finally having all the free time he could want but it's during a zombie apocalypse so there's you know the 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 tension and wackiness of that as he like goes out he like gets himself like a really nice motorcycle goes out and like is like getting all of the like food and drinks that he wants or uh getting to um like set up this little survival encampment on a rooftop and like play games and listen to music before the power goes out it's just he his positivity is pretty infectious And even when he's being an absolute dope, it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, it's also a much more vibrant zombie apocalypse than you're probably used to. Like, even the zombies themselves are, like, leaking these, like, bright neon-colored fluids. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um... And despite being mostly goofy comedy horror, there's actually quite a bit of character depth and introspection by the cast as they kind of finally have the time to really sit down and think about what led them to this point in their lives. There's a sequence where Akira sort of re-experiences some of the trauma that he had been exposed to while working for his former company, and it hits surprisingly hard. Um, So it's got a lot more going to it than just wacky zombie fun time antics, though it is absolutely mostly that. Um, The only real ding, there's only two real dings against the show. One is there's a character that that you'll meet later who I'd been sort of dreading her showing up since she'd been in the credits from the beginning, uh, named Beatrix. She's a German Japanophile, she's a blonde, bouncy, big booby foreigner who's completely obsessed with Japan and is probably the only one of the cast that really matches Akira's energy. Uh, so I won't say that she's out of place, but she's, she's like, just a bit too much. You've got one character who's sort of the straight woman. You've got Akira, who is basically, like, just, like, you know, having the best time of his life or trying to have the best time of his life. And his best friend, who's kind of, like, trying to be a balance in between of, like, I'll do stupid stuff and, like, risk my butt if it means that, you know, we get to do what we want to do. But I'm still trying to live through this, if at all possible. And then this girl comes along and she's just, again, she's, like, bubbly, bouncy. She's, like, all in on, like, encyclopedic knowledge of Japan. Again, I don't think she's out of place. She just feels like one thing too much. If that makes any kind of sense.
2: The show's energy just gets too high.
1: A little bit. Like... I don't know. Um,
0: Dan, real quick, do the zombies ever actually pose a threat? Or are they just, like, there in the background?
1: Oh, no, they are a constant threat. Like, there are stretches where, you know, you won't run into them for a while. But, like, they're always there. And early on, quite a lot of people die. It's not uh, it's not pleasant, in the, especially in the beginning. Eventually, it's just like, okay, we sort of figured out how to... How to deal with them, or we have you know tools at our disposal that help us get uh get around the problem. But for the most part, yeah, they are always there and they are always a danger, mostly to everyone who isn't Akira and his
0: gang. Wow, interesting. Like
1: everyone else is basically living through an actual zombie apocalypse, and they're living through like the the sunshine, happy, fun time zombie apocalypse. It's a they're, they're living in two very different worlds.
0: Does the show really focus on like the now or do Akira and company ever have this like existential dread that like we can't outrun the zombies forever or something like that? Like this is the world now and.
1: They've sort of just accepted it and it's just like, you know what, we'll figure it out. It's kind of a, you know, we'll take it day by day sort of philosophy uh, that he really pushes for like. Not that they don't plan anything out, but, like, Akira and his friend are really driven by more of what is cool in the moment versus uh, their friend who is much... Their other friend who is much more like, no, we need to be planning for the future. We need to, like, have a system and all of this kind of stuff. They're like, no, 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 nope, no, nope. gonna just go with the flow right now. And usually by the time they end, they, like... Try to wrap up whatever argument they're having over this. The zombies have busted in, and they need to make whatever decision they have to at the moment. It's that's kind of the formula that we go for, um, and the choice is almost never the reasonable one.
0: But okay. uh, all right,
1: yeah. the The other ding I want to say is that the show is actually still coming out, and it's huh. been de- the last three episodes have been delayed indefinitely in the middle of a two part episode. So holy the- moly. Yeah, the show has been going through a lot of production woes since the beginning, and I've got no real info as to why, but it's just like several episodes have been delayed throughout the broadcast, so it's been a little tricky to keep following. We kept wondering, like... When does the, what day does this show come out? I thought it always came out on, like, the weekend or whatever, and then sometimes it'd be late and sometimes it'd be on time, and then other times there'd be, like, a couple of weeks between them. It was very strange, and now it's, like, concerning if the rest of this season is even going to come out, which, considering how popular it's been, is pretty troubling. But my hope is that they get the time to finish it and, you know, deliver those last three episodes at least. I mean, I'd honestly like to see another season of this uh, just to carry on, but You know, we'll see if that actually happens or not.
2: Now, Dan, what do you think? Is there a chance that the company making this anime is exploitative? And by making this anime, everyone realized they should probably quit?
1: You know, considering the state of animation in Japan, I would not be surprised. But I don't know enough about the studio to say. Um, It would be terribly ironic in a way, but uh, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's just, you know, poor production management rather than, you know, working people to death over it
2: right
0: I like Scott's explanation I was about to blame 2B in near automata because I think like everyone drawing her supposedly amazing posterior just like consumed all of the animation world and and now <laughs> there are just delays across the board it's mostly just because near automata had such intense delays that I think it'd be funny to blame that. They
2: used all the animation bandwidth in the country.
0: Yes, just for like 2B's rear. So that's <laughs> that's what it is.
1: Gotta blame something. Huh. So after that, what uh, what else we got?
2: I'll pick it up from there. So I saw uh RISA no Atelier, which is uh, you know, based on the Atelier series of games. I guess there's one involving RISA, so it's basically the anime pitch uh, for that video game, I guess. Not having played the video game, I don't know too much about it but uh, whatever the show is really was fun. I'm surprised uh, there's a lot of atelier games out there yeah
0: there are a ton of those
2: and uh, I don't know who it is that's playing all of them but it ain't me uh, that said the show looks great like the animation quality is nice um, it did really make me want to go play the game it had a really good sense of like exploration of the island they're on and the areas beyond. Uh, like a good serious sense of accomplishment with what the characters are working on like rises learning new alchemy formulas and stuff the like basically every character has a good arc like she learns alchemy sword boy learns how to sword more study guy learns how to read new languages and then like help them out with like deciphering ancient texts uh, so they all have like a solid arc that also contributes to the strength of their team uh, and as a result they're able to go on and do more things so it kind of it feels like the natural progression of that kind of RPG, but it's, I don't know, it's very satisfying. That's cool. Scott, yeah. is
0: it just like slice of lifey, happy adventure time, or is there like a, a global conflict of some sort? These games are pretty like cozy, if I recall correctly, so I don't think there would be like a big threat of, of some kind, but is there a central conflict that's moving them forward?
2: Yeah, sort of mixed. Like, so they're they're on this island where, like, you know, whatever. The the prevailing wisdom is don't leave the island. And they're like, well, we want to leave the island for adventure reasons. So they're sort of pushing against, you know, their society to do that. But also, like, Sword Guy wants to go to this ancient castle. And Ryza wants to go to this other place. And um, also, like, there is sort of like the inciting event that kicks everything off is that these foreign alchemists, foreign to the village show up looking at ruins and there's these like monsters that are these really really powerful monsters that are on the loose um and so they're sort of tracking them down and hunting them and it like where the show finishes there's been a really large battle but not even against those monsters yet which seemed to be sort of like a much larger looming threat left over from some ancient civilization um so i can't tell if there's gonna be more Riza or if this is just like a pitch for the game or what so this, I don't know, I would say looming conflict, but it's so far off that most of the time you're just kind of watching characters solve little problems around town.
0: Okay, sounds good.
2: Uh, let's see. I guess, yeah, plenty of good praise for it. There's only really one con, and I think I've talked with this about you before, Sue, and you had a really good knowledge of it. I did! Yeah, the show is, in general, very wholesome. There's not a lot of, like, fan service or anything going on, except that... The camera always seems to want to focus on Riza's thighs, like just all the time. Like she's got, you know, this gap between her long socks and her shorts, and they just focus on it hard. Like the theme song alone, I think a good quarter of the time is spent staring at her thighs. And I, I mentioned it to Sue, and Sue, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so this is a thing. I, I don't know why the community has decided this, but uh, Riza is thick, with two C's apparently, and uh,
1: by 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 actual standards or by anime girl standards, because those are two very different things.
0: By anime standards, thank you. Dan. Uh-huh. By anime standards, she is thick, especially compared to the other uh, Atelier girls, and the the fans love her thighs. Special thank you to to anN for teaching me this also I hate you <laughs> um, so yeah that's that's the deal guys. the fans love her thighs they're obsessed with them they talk about them a whole bunch. Riza is is a very popular for this reason so I the show clearly knew it gave the audience what they wanted.
2: yeah, I think I've been unaware of once you said it I was like, all right, that does. It does explain the weird, weird amount of focus on her thighs. Like, she'll be talking and the camera's like, oh no, I'm down here.
1: (laughs) We know what you weirdos are about.
2: I I guess they do. Um, But that's really the only thing I've got to say against it. And maybe that's a plus for you if you've been playing Ryza and and that's your deal.
0: Dan, I also now want a crazed video of you in a lab coat with one of those metal pointers being like this isn't thick you understand kids this <laughs> just, isn't thick this is actually thick like i want i want the dan thick chart just
1: just bust out the calipers
0: <laughs> yes i want i want the dan thick assessment like i i'm what's, in for what's this
1: the, what's the thigh version of phrenology
2: <laughs> wow here we go phonology
1: ah.
0: rhizology <laughs>
2: and You've got to name it on its on its founding person, yeah.
0: Yeah, so hilarious piece of trivia for the audience.
2: Definitely. All right, that's all I had for Riza. So you, you recommend, Skep? I do recommend Riza. It was a fun time. Uh, even not having played the game, it was like you didn't need to have played the game to know what was going on. They did a good job.
0: All right, nice. All right, I will take over with... Uh Yohane the Parleyan, Sunshine in the Mirror. No, wait, it's full, full stop. You made that up.
2: What's the real title? I, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, like seriously, guys. It sounds it sounds like I did, did, didn't I? All right, so uh the premise of this show is that Johane is a girl from a small town called Numazu who goes to the city to try and become an idol. She fails her audition, like day one, eight o'clock, has to come back to her town because she's run out of money. He or she, like, meets a bunch of friends and learns the true power of song and what inspires her love of music. Uh, so any enjoyment you could possibly get out of this show hinges on you having seen and enjoyed Love Live Sunshine. Because this is fan fiction with Love Live Sunshine. It's, it's got all the characters from Love Live Sunshine just in this fantasy setting.
2: Oh, so it's like an alternate universe kind of thing.
0: Bingo. Yes. Okay. They don't know each other. They don't make reference to the original show outside of character traits sometimes, but for the most part, it's it's pure fan fiction, just alternate universe stuff. So part slice of life, part idol-ish show, part fantasy, this show accomplishes none of these all at the <laughs> same time, guys. Uh-oh it has a running plot line about there being a calamity that's coming to town and only the power of song can stop it. Like the whole show starts like it's almost going to be a magical girl show. It's like long ago, the people's voices used to resonate, but now the people feel dark emotions like, you know, hate and greed and whatever. And like only the one who can like sing and resonate the world or whatever is going to stop the calamity. And you're like, what? Sure. Whatever. It just, I'll I'll go with this for now, but, like, it's just dumb. It acts like background <laughs> fodder whenever they need drama. Like, they'll just stick it in there. Like, oh, no, the calamity. Like, the sky will turn purple. Johanna gets all worried. She's like, what if I can't sing, like, powerful <laughs> enough to stop the calamity? And you're like, girl, you just had, like, cakes on the beach. No one cares about the calamity, least of all, like, me. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just insane anyway the slice of life parts are the strongest bit okay like when all of the girls are just interacting like we liked these characters from Sunshine we like seeing them interact and their are different personalities here in this alternate universe but we waste so much time on just dumb nonsense one of my favorite things is to fight the calamity okay Daya who in the original show is the student council president is now mayor of town of Numazu. Why this town has a 16-year-old mayor? Like, don't even ask me, but she's <laughs> mayor of town. And, like, Dan and Scott, I need you guys to, like, when you get a chance, go look up her picture. She has, like, the most amazing eyeglass. If nothing else, Dan needs to look at it because I just want to see him twitch so hard he falls over. Dan, okay, it's what's not her a name modicle. again? Her name is Daya, D i a. Look her up from Johanne the and Dan, it's not a monocle. Do you understand? There's no chain attaching it anywhere. It's like a, a single glass that Just sits on her on eye there. that's cut in half. So it's, it's half a glass, the bottom half. You can't actually see any glass, though. So it just looks like she's wearing this, like, metal ring, like, half ring on her eye. <laughs> it's just the most amazing thing ever. It, it,
1: it's it's literally like somebody took, ha- took, like, Pince-nez glasses, the ones that, like, just clip over your nose but then cut them in half. I don't feel like that works. How does it balance?
0: It's amazing, Dan. It does, and it makes no sense and it's awesome. Anyway, beyond that, um she's the mayor of town and she also moonlights as fake common rider. Like guys, she has an what? underground bat cave like thing. She rides this red motorcycle in this CG like battle outfit. Is she Batman? Like I have no idea. The show doesn't know the town like is, is there a need for a Batman-like character?
1: Is this place rife with crime?
0: Okay, so it's <laughs> funny, because I asked the same question, because equally stupid is uh, the girl who was the leader of, uh, I think it's Aquas, in Love, Live, Sunshine. Her name is Chica. She and her sisters moonlight as masked vigilantes known as Million Dollar. They have, like, cat cannon guns. They drive around in a van. Like where their mom is the secret boss and they, like, fight crime. And I literally, like, I have it here in my notes. Kind of sounds amazing. Is this town Gotham with tons of crime? And you guys felt the need to form not one, but two crime-fighting, like, units. Just, guys, I don't even understand. And it's ex- ex- <laughs> funny, Scott, because, like you said, that this all happens in, like, episode one, like Johanna comes back, she she's walking around town, the calamity hits her in the middle of the woods, and like faux common rider and million dollars show up, and I was like, this show's a ten out of ten already. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> I am here for it. And it doesn't deliver on any of those things. I have Aww. no clue why these like these people are in these crime fighting units, whatever. Uh the fantasy in the show has no rules and Like, very weak explanation. Like, there's the power of song. There's kind of demon magic. Like, mixed-race rich girl Ojo-sama from the original show Mari. She's, like, the demon lord. She lives on a special island, like, close to town. She can hear the resonance of the earth with her horns. Like, she's, you know... There's a lot going on here all of a sudden. I I Like, hell if I understand what's going on, guys. My personal favorite, though, and I'm actually very disappointed Brendan isn't here, because this would be my chance to spaz him out so hard he'd pass out, leaving only you, Scott, as the sole survivor of this cast. Uh, Daya's younger sister is a girl named Ruby. Ruby is introduced as a fairy, like, so small she fits in the palm of your hand. She can merge with Daya's common rider bike to enhance its power. Okay? Fine. Whatever. I'll buy into this. But then... Then, guys, she can seemingly become human at random, like, full size, with no wings or anything, just a normal girl, at random. There's a Silly Slice of Life episode, which kind of functions like the beach episode. She just appears, and is big, and everyone freaks out for a hot (laughs) minute. They're like, Ruby, you're big. Back to what we were doing. Like, no one explains this, no one cares, this is never discussed... You will literally never find out how this girl converts from fairy to human. No just, none no explanation.
2: Just the thing that happened that one time. It's like Ryo Oki turning into a human. You're like, what? And they're like, <laughs> No, 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 we'll never mention that again. Like, uh, that's what actually makes it a little weirder.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, precisely. Precisely. On top of all all this, this? if you if this wasn't enough, on top of all this, Johane has a dog named Lilaps, a very large dog that can talk. They care for each other like siblings, and the core emotional drama actually centers around their dynamic. Like the reason Lilaps can talk has something to do with Johane's secret power, and I don't even know, guys. Who cares? Okay. cares? What
2: if they just had like a dartboard of ideas and every day the director got to pick a different one?
0: Yes, precisely. Precisely. Uh, so all of this is smashed together in 13 episodes. It makes for a complete mess. Like, my husband and I dragged our feet to the finale of this and the whole time we're just griping it should have just been a slice of life show. Uh, I I don't recommend this show at all. Like e- we enjoyed Love Live Sunshine, and we did not enjoy this show. And if you're Aww. not a Love Live Sunshine fan, there is there is nothing to be had with this.
2: Wow, like it's amazing to have a show reach for the heights of Idolmaster Xenoglossia and still fall. Flat.
0: And still completely <laughs> fail. Now
1: that is a name I have not heard in a long time.
2: But it's the same concept as this, isn't it?
1: I know, right. <laughs>
0: The only thing I want to give massive props to is the opener. Guys, this opener goes so hard. Let me just tell you, this song is like pushing it, okay? And it wants to be like a dark, introspective, magical girl. And the show is not that. It's just great. Like it makes the show look way cooler than it is. And man, does it commit. So props to the opener, which is pretty catchy. But yeah, avoid this one.
2: Oh, wah-wah. Well, wah. No, thank you for the warning.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: All right, who's next?
1: All right, I'll pick us back up with uh, a show that kind of surprised uh, surprised me a bit, uh, Undead Murder Farce, also called Undead Girl Murder Farce, depending on whether or not you're <laughs> the Crunchyroll titlers or not.
0: Dan, Dan, I understand you're really jealous of Johanne the Parlay in Sunshine <laughs> in the Mirror, which I just made up. But, like, you can't just smash a bunch of other words together and attempt to come up with a title as clever. Like, you tried. It's okay.
1: It's exactly what it says on the tin, though. The the The, the title is, <laughs> is nothing it? if not descriptive. <laughs> Um, honestly, I feel like we need to do sort of one of those true, two truths and a lie thing where we each, like, take two real, uh, ridiculous anime titles and add a third made-up one of our own oh, and see man. who can guess which that one is real. That sounds
0: so it's, fun! It's
2: like the sequel to Channel A.
1: Exactly, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get together and do that as one of our mini-podcasts one of these days.
2: Uh,
1: but, uh, anyway, Undead Murder Farce, yes, the the actual title of the show Uh, is set at the end of the uh, 1800s in a time when monsters are slowly being sort of pushed to the edge of extinction. Uh, We open up Japan where like Oni, Yokai, all of those kinds of creatures have essentially been eliminated. um, And, you know, very few of them still exist as like sideshow attractions or like living on the periphery of society. And we follow this half-oni man named Suguru who gets, uh, roped into the, uh, shenanigans of an immortal named Aya Rindo and her maid Shuzuku. And it is basically the three of them traveling to Europe, solving mysteries, and searching for Aya's missing body. For you see, this girl is a, basically right now, just a head in a birdcage who her maid carries around, uh... And her only asset at this point is her mind. She is uh, she is trying to find the uh, weird European assholes who stole her body and figure out, you know, A, why they did that, take revenge on them, and, you know, keep herself and uh, her friends alive for a little bit longer as the world starts to change. So... It more or less breaks down to these three uh, investigating various uh, mysteries, murders, and heists and whatnot across Europe. While that plotline sort of plays in the background, it starts with a murder mystery at a vampire chateau in France, uh, and moves to Europe, where they enc- or sorry moves to England, I should say, where they encounter uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Arsène Lupin and uh the phantom of the opera all in the same uh all in the same few episodes. So, it's very much a like let's grab every um every character who's not currently outside of the public domain and smash them together and see what happens and honestly, as silly as it is, I kind of love it.
0: Wow, really? Like that was not what I was expecting you to say. Also, I wanted to know when they uncovered the plot to resurrect Hitler. Because
1: no 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 different show okay, different all show right. <laughs> different show much worse show but uh, this show like I said it's good dumb fun the mysteries are deliberately overcomplicated they pull in all of these other literary characters uh, contrary to what I would have expected Sherlock Holmes is actually shown as like a middle aged kind of like weirdy dude uh, as opposed to like a hot young uh, detective that is reserved more for uh, Lupin and the Phantom of the Opera. So like kind of weird on that count, but whatever. Um, And so there's like, like I said, there's murders, there's heists, there's supernatural brawls. Uh, Suguru being half Oni is like super strong. So like when a problem basically gets out of uh, Aya's non-existent hands, he is the one who usually deals with it. Yeah. like when the murderer is revealed, he just like just beats the tar out of them <laughs> until the problem goes away. And there's a lot of moments where uh, that I like to call uh, "I wanted it to happen" and then it did. Moments where oh, good. oh yeah, like I, I the moment Arsan Lupin came on uh, came on the scene, like I was like I want someone to punch this smug pretty boy in his face. Less than an episode later, it happened. It was glorious.
2: Oh, amazing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's there's a lot of that. Uh the dynamics between the characters are fun. Uh Suguru and uh, Aya's maid Shizuku have like this constant like sniping back and forth at each other, like these veiled insults because they're both they're each of them has a very complicated relationship with Aya and it's hard to tell if they're like jealous of each other or really just poking fun. Um And all in all, it's actually quite uh, enjoyable. At least I found it that way. That having been said, the show is a bit janky. The uh, quality of the animation and the writing sort of fluctuates quite a bit. And I find that the the third part of it, the last mystery that we're involved in, at least in this season, kind of falls flat by comparison to the earlier ones. It takes a long time to get there. It's like, even by the standards of the show's other overcomplicated mysteries this one's a bit much and it doesn't it guess it doesn't feel like there's ever a lot of progress being made towards the main goal of like finding this girl's body all right so actually i was Um, gonna
2: ask there are they solving mysteries because they need money or like solving mysteries or is it sort of like in the process of getting to the body whoops we're embroiled in a mystery better solve it a
1: little bit of both, but it's mainly because she's a detective and can't leave well enough alone. Oh, okay. Um But they also track, you know, they also find out that, oh, some of the people involved in this mystery or the people that kind of, like, set the ball in motion to allow this uh, this crime to unfold— were connected to, we believe were connected to the people who stole her body. So that's sort of the the ongoing motivation of why they keep going after these particular mysteries. That having been said, like, the paths, their paths cross, but only briefly. And it really doesn't, it really feels like they're taking a very uh, lackadaisical approach to the whole thing. Um, Considering how important this is to her, it feels a little bit odd, but... Honestly, the main uh, cast is actually like pretty laid back about all of this, being that they're all so skilled and/or powerful that there's really not a lot that they have to worry about most of the time. So it sort of tracks, but it also feels like ah, I, I feel like you guys could be pursuing this with a little bit more, uh, a little bit more oomph, shall we say? Hmm. That having been said, still a fun show.
0: It's all your perception, right? Like the show is played completely straight.
1: Oh no, the show is uh it's deliberately over the top. Um it's it's definitely a action comedy kind of thing. Uh the uh Suguru for example, like he will regularly punctuate his like chats with other characters or even his fights with like Like, uh, basically, Rakugo performance, if anyone remembers that stuff. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. The
1: one-man show kind of thing. He'll, like, perform little bits from this because he's, like, you know, he thinks of himself as a bit of a comedian. And he's genuinely got some good comic timing here and there. It's just that it's so disconnected because these are a bunch of Europeans he's kicking the crap out of while reciting what to them is really obscure Japanese, like, one-man stand-up bits, but it's still kind of fun to watch, if only for, you know, a bunch of smug jerks to get taken down by this guy whose really only skill is being really tough and strong. Like I said, though, all in all, fun show. It, it's not going to be for everyone, and it's a bit messy at times, but I had fun with it. Hope that they get another season to see if they can actually conclude this.
0: Sounds good.
1: So, anyone got anything else more ridiculous than that to top it?
2: You know Dan, I don't know if it's more ridiculous, but I'll take the challenge. Uh I watched uh, Reborn as a Vending Machine I Now Wander the Dungeon.
1: I feel like you've uh I feel like you won that pretty handily, man.
0: I don't know, we'll see. Scott, before you go into it really quick, I need yeah? I need you to know that when Uh, So this manga, I think, has been out for a a while, and I had seen it once on on ANN, and you know, there's so much isekai. And I remember showing this to my husband, and and he was like, we have hit rock bottom. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like
0: reincarnated as a vending machine. We have hit the bottom, baby. So I'm very intrigued to hear what you have to say about this show.
2: Okay, well now before I get into the details, I want to note that this season in particular had a very high number of isekai in it, and all of them were worse than this one.
0: Oh man, so, the I'm bottom, ready.
2: The bottom fell out of this barrel. Uh, let me put it that way. But, alright, so honestly, I did like this show. They took a really, really stupid concept and just knocked it out of the park uh so it just goes to show how important good writers are to a show uh honestly i think a big part of it is that they did give the vending machine guy serious limitations that make his adventures a lot more interesting like
1: besides being a vending machine who i assume cannot move
2: exactly he cannot move he can only speak using like five or six phrases that the vending machine would have said were it sitting in japan
0: Oh my gosh, yes.
2: He can say, like, insert more coins, or you might win a free item. And, like, he only has six phrases. Uh, like, he does get to unlock new abilities, some of which are sort of fantasy-themed. But no, he's never able to, like, walk or move on his own. Uh, or speak or any of those things. And those are serious limitations to work around. Uh, For real. And, like, they do a good job of doing it. So, like other isekais take notice. Limitations make it more interesting.
0: Scott, is that the whole show? Like, they don't suddenly get a magic spell that lets him talk?
2: Uh No, I think by the end he has, like, a camera he can take pictures with. Like, a security camera. Uh, and then he can display the pictures or something. But, like, it never gets to the point where he's able to, to like, form his own words.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: And I think also by the end he has, like, limited telekinesis or something but he still can't talk to anybody or move himself with it
0: does he have unlimited items in himself kind of like it's this thing
2: where like he has to spend currency that are converted into points for both abilities and restocks but you know he can make a tidy profit assuming he can actually sell stuff so yeah effectively he can generate unlimited items as far as the show is concerned uh what else is there Like, the setting and the characters, I would say, they're not amazing, but they're just fleshed out enough to keep you interested. Like, there's other guilds and there's people. There's a town they're in that has its own goals and stuff like that. So he's kind of involved with those. Uh, And they use a lot of... Like, he eventually, or pretty early on, gains the ability to turn into different vending machines. And they really use that to a variety... Like, a, a really good effect. He'll be like, oh, I'm a candy vending machine. I sell like, cheap clothing or whatever. I have a dry ice vending machine, which, which comes in handy in a few circumstances when they're fighting different monsters. Uh, when he ranks up, I'm like, what are they going to do for rank up in a show like this? Like, you know, so increase his, his base skill. He's like, all right, now I can work like any other coin-operated item similar to a vending machine, uh, like a car wash or a gasoline pump.
0: Oh, that's hilarious.
2: They really get the points for cleverness in this one. And also he's like, I've done my research. There's this vending machine deployed in like 1964 or something that's made out of cardboard for use in this specific circumstance. So I can turn into cardboard. (laughs) Which comes in useful like twice.
0: Wait, describe how his powers like help fight monsters. Like how do you fight monsters with like a gumball or like a gotcha toy?
1: Does he, like, fire them out at extreme speed?
2: He eventually
0: learns how to do that, but most,
2: like, like he's not, like, killing anyone by hitting them with a gumball. It's more like he gets Mentos and then gives everyone two liter bottles of soda. Oh my <laughs> gosh! And then, like, they blind, temporarily blind to some giant frog monster while they're trying to escape from it. Like, they don't beat it with it, they just, like, drive it off long enough to get real reinforcements. Uh, or, like, the dry <laughs> ice, they fill a hole and there's like this giant flaming skeleton down there that they've trapped in the hole. Uh, but then all the carbon dioxide from the dry ice puts out the fire and they're able to fight it effectively. And they're like, great, let's jump down there to finish it off. And he's like, Oh no. Oh no. There's only carbon dioxide down there. How do I warn them? My plan is backfiring. Oh no. So like they do, they do use things to clever effect, which I appreciated. Um, Honestly, because the, the only real con, and of course of course, it would have to happen, right? Is that the various girls in the show seem to be falling in love with the vending machine. Oh my gosh,
0: no! Like, there's
2: even, there's even a tsundere, and it was like, come on, come on, come on. It's a box. It's a box that can say six things and can't move. What is going on?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. That just, like, adds to the amazing absurdity of it all.
2: And of course, the English translation, like, I don't know what the word they're using in his Japanese, but like, the name they give him is Boxo. So, like, <laughs> you know, oh, Boxo, I'm so glad you're back. And I'm like, I cannot, I can't right now with you.
0: That's so good.
2: Right. So, honestly, rec- like, pretty recommended. Like, best isekai of the season, because boy, the other ones were awful. But still, still a fun show that I enjoyed.
0: I can't even I believe seen this that is coming. where we went. Like, I was expecting you to be like, Sue, prepare yourself for the dumbest show ever. But then I I won with Parlay and so.
2: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't say it wasn't the dumbest show ever. They just did. They took their dumb concept and like went hard on it and it worked.
0: I'm impressed. Color me very impressed.
2: Me too. Unexpected. All right. Good for them. Who else has something?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll take over. Um, Wildly, wildly different from my life as a vending machine. uh, (laughs) It's my happy marriage, not to a vending machine. I was to say to a vending machine? To a vending machine. To Boxo. My happy Boxo marriage. All right. um, So my happy marriage is about uh, Mio Saimori. She's in a household that absolutely despises her. Her mother passed away. Her father ignores her. Her stepmother and stepsister physically and emotionally abuse her. So Cinderella. Um, right, yes. Uh, for the hell of it, they send her to be married to Kioka Kudo, who is like world renowned or, or town renowned, I guess, for being incredibly cruel. So they're like, this will be great. Let's marry her off to this guy who, you know, will probably abuse her even more than we will. It's it's gonna be great. very uh, dark start. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's a lot. There's um like magic to the show. I do just want to mention there's a bit of a supernatural bend. Like people have sort of like sorcery powers that seem a little bit elemental in nature. However, it's not a fantasy. Like there's also cars and and regular... What? Yeah, yeah, it's like almost Model T looking cars. So wait a minute, all of
2: a sudden, all of a sudden it's like Scroido.
0: Yeah, okay, not nearly that bad, but it's it's set in like what looks like I'm I'm not historical enough to to do this, but one of you know the eras of Japan that's not super technologically advanced. You know there are cars, and I don't think they ever talk about like airplanes, but there are no phones. If I no, there are phones. There are rotary phones. Okay, so there's like rotary phones. There's like Model T looking cars. And people still have to, like, walk places, they ride horses, there's no, like, none of that fantasy stuff, but right. um, they have, like, people have supernatural abilities, and there are supernatural huh. creatures that move about in this world. So that's the buy-in premise.
2: Honestly, it sounds like the same time period that uh, Murder Farce was set in, kind of.
1: If anything, maybe a little later, a little later like they've got cars early, and phones, early like, 20th century, maybe, yeah. whatever that period of time is. Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Yeah, I, I can believe that. Um, so it turns out that uh, Kiyoka Kudo is not a terrible person and the story navigates, you know, their relationship once she goes over there and is set to be his fiancee. So Scott nailed it. I mean, My Happy Marriage, it starts out as a Cinderella story at first. And I actually, the first couple episodes in, I was a little concerned. Cause like Mio is so sad and so abused that like it began to have the opposite effect it was supposed to on me. Like it it almost felt like an attack. On my emotions, and like a deliberate one, like you know, the co- oh, you know, okay. kicking the puppy in the rain type of thing. Like, don't you feel sad mm. for this girl? And I was like, Of course, I do. I'm human. Like, who wouldn't? This is this is a, li- a little manipulative. Um, so actually, once Mio goes to Kyoka, things really change direction. The story is much more focused on Mio pursuing happiness while bearing the shackles of an abusive upbringing. And uh, that was way more uh, interesting for me. It invested me a lot more. The show looks Mm. absolutely gorgeous. Like, such high production values. It has really strong characterization. Like, it's not just Mio and Kyoko, but, like, a lot of people around them, like, feel well-realized. Everyone has a motivation. Like, they're all really interesting people. Um, Mio fighting the abusive past, you know, she's got is compelling. It's, it's eventually easy to root for, you know, when you watch her regress, which happens quite a bit, you, it's completely understandable and you're really rooting for her to push past it. You know, when we watch her succeed, it's such a huge triumph because of everything she's been through. This show also has really subtle ways of conveying, like, not only a person dealing with trauma, But something, you know, I don't see really well realized in in anime or storytelling in general, which is the struggles of those around that person, right? Like, numerous characters in the show actually, like, love and care for Mio. They just, they don't know how to deal with her abuse, right? Because it's her burden to bear and they want to help, but many times they drive her, like, deeper into her shell because they don't know how to approach Mm. her suffering, right? Uh, the show has an immense lack of idiot ball. Literally, like, day one, eight o'clock, like, Kyoka takes Mio out, he, like, buys her a new kimono and, like, some, some gifts, and, you know, she's she's thankful, but she's still, like, really reserved and, like, you know, waiting for him to retract them or for it to be a trap. And he just, like, gets it. He figures out that she's come from an abusive household, like, he has someone go do some digging, and figures it out and then literally just out loud he's sitting at work and he's like kindness alone like me having these nice gestures like that's not gonna fix it this is something like deep and internal she has to deal with now does he always like do the right thing no but he realizes this very very fast
2: oh wow all right
0: yeah it's it's, impressive yeah yeah very (laughs) impressive good on him so, you know, people understand each other, they make intelligent decisions, or at the very least, they make very believable decisions, like, based on the motivations they're given. Um, on the downside, the, the pacing is a little odd. Like, the show puts Mio in danger, and only to rapidly pull her out of it. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, there's one sequence where um, her mother and stepsister discover, sorry, her stepmother and stepsister discover that, like, is actually making her happy, And so they kidnap her, drug her, (laughs) and like tie her up in the shed, and then start like beating her. It's like very difficult to watch.
1: What investment do they have in making this girl's life miserable? Are they like
0: they love it?
1: Are they're not going to get like an inheritance out of it or something? It's just they they're just jerks. They're
0: just jerks. So the stepsister is so spoiled that she's convinced she can have whatever she wants. So she's like, I'm gonna beat my my stepsister into declaring her marriage null and void because for some reason like she needs that to be stated out loud so she like beats Mio and is just like declare your marriage null so that I can go propose to Kyoka so that's what she's getting out of it the stepmother just absolutely hates this girl because she's not, he's not hers. She's just like you're the worst, and like everyone like thinks you're so like gentle and sweet, and I hate you. So, you know, get rid of this girl. It's it's really just it's very difficult to watch. It's really a lot, and like I'm not saying, oh man, like drag that out longer. You know that that sequence like needed to end quick, and it does. Like you know, Kyoka gets there, he, he saves her, and you're like, oh okay. But like other things, like she's this is going to get a little spoilery, apologies, so skip this part if you if you don't want to be spoiled. It turns out that she is from a a like long line of very rare magic users and she has this ability called dream like magic. She's the dream maiden. So basically Persona 5 style, she she has the ability to go into people's dreams and then like manipulate them while they're sleeping and everyone wants this power and
2: mm, all right. That's like, a pretty so good one.
0: Everyone's trying to get a hold of her, like control her. And I think on the back end, like ultimately get her to, you know, to procreate for them. Um, it, it just, it, so, so, at one point, she gets taken by the house that, like, actually her family, like, they just take her back from Kyoka, and they're like, you don't deserve her, like, we need to reawaken her powers, and, like, she needs to stay in our house, because she's, like, our family, and I thought this would drag pretty far, like it's a big deal that they finally find her and retrieve her. And like the drama of it is over in like an episode or so. Like she just puts her foot Mm. down. I was impressed that she's like, you know, mild Meek Mio is just like, no, like, I really want to be with, you know, Kudo and love him. And like, let me out of here. And interestingly, like, it's a weird dynamic because it's her family. So they're like, you know what, at the end of the day, like we love you too and we want you to be happy and like, our purpose was to keep you here and and grow your powers like basically have you procreate for us but okay i mean we also want what makes you happy so we'll we'll give you back to the Kudo household and i was like this basically had no drama to it right like she gets taken in you think she's like going to be caged up and and really have to like figure a way out or Kudo's going to have to save her and like that's not how it goes She's just let out and you're like, Okay. Eh. I mean that only took an episode.
1: Really sort of deflated that situation. Right. Or huh? like the
0: very end is like Kyoka like he gets injured at work and then he's like, you know, dying in his dreams and she finally uses her dream maiden powers. And I was like, this this feels like it should be a late, late game play. Yeah, really. That feels like the end of the show. Right. right and then like, no, she just does it. At the end, and and then she's like, "Okay, let's like go back to reality now." And I was like, "Okay." So it's like the pacing is very odd. Is really where I'm going. Uh, it's it's a lot crammed into those thirteen episodes. And again, like not like I wanted to see her suffer a ton, but it just feels like tension, break tension, tension, break tension. So it's a little jarring. Um, you know, it's it's odd to tell you the truth, guys. I really could have done without the supernatural anything. Like, I think if they had just stripped all that out and it was a domestic drama about Mio dealing with her trauma while everyone else around her also tries to deal with that trauma, like, it would have been great. And those parts are very strong. Really, really good. Um, the show ends in a way where, honestly, guys, it could just be done. Like, in theory, you could just be like, pretend they walk off and everything's happily ever after. Uh, it wouldn't be very satisfying. I can say that, because like I said, it's been like tension up, tension down, tension up, tension down. Uh, There's there's clearly more story. It's getting a second season. I just, I hope it puts Mio's growth like in the forefront and, and has a little bit more to say, like draws the tension out a little more. I would definitely watch more of it, but I think watching it as it is can sometimes be a little unsatisfying. But overall, I do recommend it. I liked it. So, you know. Take that as you will.
2: Okay, so in the end you did enjoy it. I
0: did enjoy it, yeah. I liked it. It's just it's got some some quirk to it.
2: Yeah, clearly. Oh, alright. Mixed bag, but at least it looks yeah. nice.
0: Yeah. It oh yeah. damn, it does look very nice.
1: Cool. Speaking of looking nice, uh I continued with uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2 after catching up on the original series and the movie a little late to the game. And uh, it if you are a fan of this show, it keeps on going strong. Um, it is a little bit odd in some ways because the first uh, several episodes are part of what's called the Hidden Inventory Arc, which is a prequel to both the original series And the movie, which itself is a prequel to the series. So it can feel a little bit jarring, jumping straight into that. But it's honestly a good thing because it follows the sorcerers uh, Gojo and uh, Geto... During their time as students at this, uh, you know, high school for sorcerers, and they're tasked to protect this young woman who's tied to the ancient master of their school. There's a bunch of different uh, factions out for her. It's all sorts of messy, uh, and it dives deep into like basically the politics and rivalries of this sort of world of people who are at least all in theory supposed to be trying to protect the regular humans of the world from these cursed spirits and all of those kinds of things uh the action is brutal just like it was in the first uh season and it also gives a ton of insight into who these characters are how they came to these sort of opposing viewpoints as to what the role of these uh sorcerers and curse users are versus uh the regular people in the world um and so, while it can be a little bit confusing to start out with, I do recommend uh, watching the original series first, then the movie, then this. Like, watch it in the order it came out, and it will make sense. Um, there's a lot of names and organizations that get tossed around, but they're not really important to remember. It's really a character study for these first, like, I think six episodes. Uh And then, after those six episodes, we sort of wrap up the prequel and catch back up to the current timeline, which is called the Shibuya Incident, or the Shibuya Arc, which is something that fans have been looking forward to for quite a while, uh, where the villains of the first season regroup and try to set a trap for these sorcerers on Halloween night. So, very appropriate timing when that's being released. Oh, nice. uh, Yeah, while it focuses mainly on Gojo, who's sort of like the the most powerful special boy in the universe... um, it also cuts back to our other characters, including like our audience POV character, um, Yuji and his friends, the like current generation of students and how they're trying to deal with this whole incident. Uh, it's still coming out. It's a bridge season. So it's coming in through, uh, the fall core as well, but all in all, like some solid action, some like really shocking and, uh, high tension moments. It's, the way it treats characters who are unbelievably powerful, but again, like Scott pointed out earlier, limitations make things interesting. When someone is incredibly, when someone's incredibly powerful, but most of their powers rely on just obliterating everything in a nearby radius, how do you deal with that when you're suddenly in a crowded uh, subway station, for example, uh, or when the enemies have absolutely no compunctions about killing people? How do you How do you handle the situation to keep it from escalating, but also not play into the traps or the like engagements that they're trying to set up? So there's a lot of thinking back and forth. Everyone's trying to outplay each other, uh, all happening in a very compressed period of time. Again, high action, high tension, uh, pretty brutal at times really solid show all around like just not enough I can say about how good the show is overall
0: this is a really big deal right now yeah Dan like I think um Jujutsu mm-hmm. Kaisen Zero right that's the movie one of the movies like yep, it broke all sorts of records if I remember reading right like it was mm-hmm. a really big deal
1: yeah and that's sort of like I said in between the events of the first six episodes of this season and the uh current timeline that started in season one so like i said the the timeline of how things were released and where they fall within the story is a little bit janky but it's not that hard to catch up with if you're uh if you're getting into it um you know all in all really funny it has its you know it has its really funny moments despite all of the like you know awful stuff that's going on so while the tone is still you know pretty dark and grim it never completely loses sight of you know having a bit of levity and uh I think that really that really strengthens the whole the whole thing like the the tone is very serious but it never it never feels oppressive I guess is a good way of putting it uh and the action is again just really solid all around. You're going into this for, like, supernatural action series. That is what it delivers on 100%. So, yeah, uh, really excited to see how it goes, how it turns out, and, um, you know, where the future is for the series after this, because it's sort of like... It's it's challenging right now to know where the end goal for everyone is, because everyone's just fighting so hard to survive the current situation but it'll be really interesting to see where it all goes, especially with the sort of emotional stakes that have been set up for some of the main characters through the most recent arcs. So yeah, really excited to see where this one wraps up this series, or this season.
2: Nice. All right. it's was a very solid pitch. Yeah.
0: I feel bad, like, moving from that to, to my last one, but I'll take over with them. Um, <laughs> The, the second half of Aoi no Orchestra. So somehow this show, guys, survived a double core with its non-existent budget. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Uh-oh. Stretching that $1 pretty thin. Yes,
0: indeed. Um, So the over-the-top drama, I mean, it, it continues to have some solid moments. Like lead character Hajime and his rival Saiki, they, they really have to grapple to come to terms with their feelings, uh towards their father. Major, major spoilers here, in case uh anyone's very invested. They are step-brothers or sorry, half-brothers. They're half-brothers. It turns out that they're like Hajime's father like went on tour at one point and totally had Saiki. And so they find out that they're half-brothers. This is the big drama I was I was hinting at last time um and and they really need to come to terms with themselves as well as each other like acknowledging each other for the first time um all of this is encased in their battle for the first chair violin in the orchestra concert club uh there's there's just way too many one-off characters like the latter half of this show just wastes so much time introducing us to things like the third year string quintet or like a bunch of random other <laughs> violinists in the club. Or like one whole episode is given to the president of the club who guys was like introduced in episode, I don't even know, like six or seven of, of the first half of this show, like when he first joins the orchestra club and like never, ever mentioned again, she's part of the <laughs> wind ensemble, okay? So she's like not even a violinist, she's part of the, uh, like, a different part of the orchestra. And guys, uh-huh. she gets a whole, like a whole episode to herself. I literally was like staring at the show. It doesn't even remind you who she is, by the way. It just like launches into her narrating the episode. And I was like, who is this girl <laughs> it took me half the episode to realize I was like, oh, I think this is the club president, like the girl in the wind ensemble. It's just... Wah, wah. What, what? <laughs> what? That's not a good sign. No, no, it's not. You know, it really detracts overall from the characters like we know and like care about and what it ends up doing is it crowds the runtime and forces a lot of growth for the characters we care about to happen off screen like we'll we'll have this dramatic moment right and then like later on they come back like episodes later we've wasted time on other people and they're like i'm a stronger like violinist now i've like taken on my emotions off screen and i'm like i sure would have liked to see that because that's what i was invested in in the first place. Um, in addition to this, you know, the very stiff, mechanical looking CG that plagued the first half. it's, I mean, it's it's here in full force. It just detracts fully from the overall enjoyment of the show. I think with these kinds of shows, it's it's very pivotal that like the body language of the character is expressed when playing music because music's a very emotional thing. And so, Just these, these, you know, transforming into these stiff characters just takes you fully out of it. My favorite was like the concert episode, guys. It had zero budget, which is soul crushing because it's like the last (laughs) episode. Like what we're leading up to is these people like
1: supposed to be your time to shine through
0: their emotions, playing in the concert. And what happens is like there's one sequence where a couple of the characters like rotate out, like they're playing in different sections, and they walk by each other they make a face and there's just subtitles on the bottom it's like hey do your best break a leg but like their mouths don't move and i oh, was like no. oh baby we have we have run We've that dollar bottom. out and we spent like the last 25 cents of it on boxo <laughs> so it's a, there's there's nothing to <laughs> animate the mouth moving oh no like it's just it's just gone guys the budget it's so gone to tell you that tr- what's what's crazy is this show is somehow getting a second season what <laughs> i don't understand like did they find another dollar somewhere i guess so i don't know if if the manga is secretly much better like if if all these characters are really necessary to build like one cohesive overall drama that I could get invested in. But to tell you the truth with the show, as it is now having watched both these cores, I don't recommend this. I I think there's Mm. a lot of other music shows you can invest your time in and really get more bang for your buck. And this just isn't it. When the second season comes out, I think it'll be a toss up whether I give it a go. We'll see what else is in the season, but As it stands, I I don't recommend this. If it sounded interesting or if you kinda like the characters, I know zilch about it, but I would say pursue the manga and see if it's better.
2: That's fair enough. Sounds like a rough ride.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm a little pissed. Uh, I struck out bad. You guys like you guys rocked it this summer. I I struck out real bad.
2: The fact that I got lucky with the Isekai vending machine show and you still struck out this bad. I think you just, you're you're having a bad luck season.
0: I am having a very bad luck season. Seriously. You know what? At least I have a happy marriage, so it's fine. That's
2: right. You have that one.
0: My happy marriage. But yeah, it's, oh, it was not good for me, guys. Aw.
2: Well, hopefully this, hopefully this next season will be better.
1: Keep our fingers crossed.
0: Sounds good. All right, guys, well, this was fun. Uh, Hopefully you guys found some some shows to give a try and you know some shows to avoid. (laughs) Catch you next time.
2: Bye.
1: See ya.
0: This is a podcast by The Con Artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.